Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, today's host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a software company that is the place to discover, build, and manage on-demand life science teams. I'm excited to welcome Sean Singh, the CEO of Vistagen Therapeutics, publicly traded on the NASDAQ under VTGN. Thanks for joining us today, Sean. We're excited to have you. Oh, my pleasure. So we'd love to start off just with your background and how you got to Vistagen. Well, I'm based out here in Silicon Valley. I've been here throughout my career over the last 30 years or so. And initially, while working for a global law firm, fast-paced offices of Morrison and Forrester in the 90s, I had a chance to work on pretty heavy flow of transactions, both high-tech and biotech, biopharma companies. And really early on, it was clear that I preferred working on the deals that were more biotech than high-tech. And I wanted a lot more direct role in developing medicines that could save and change people's lives. So about three decades ago, I made the leap from the law over to company that I had taken public or helped take public. And then through a series of working experiences, public and private biotech, medical device, venture capital, contract research, landed at Vistagen in 2009. And it really has become an opportunity of a lifetime to be able to develop drug candidates that we have a really high degree of confidence can actually change people's lives. So that's the dream of every biotech exec and everybody working in our industry. So real grateful to have this opportunity. Excellent, Sean. And before digging into what Vistagen is working on, I know you you have a strong passion for mental health and would love to hear your perspective on you know, what are some of the driving forces behind increase in anxiety in, in both young adults as well as working professionals and older folks as well. Well, first as a teen and, and then later as a parent, as a relative, as a youth sports coach, colleagues of people, as, as bosses of people. I've just seen firsthand so many times over and over how disruptive anxiety and depression and other mental illnesses and and even neurological orders can be, not just for the person experiencing them, but for all of those around them, their friends, their coworkers, their caregivers, their classmates, their employers, their teachers. And throughout the many years in this industry, I just have not been satisfied with what I've seen in terms of available treatment alternatives, drug treatment alternatives that can complement psychotherapy for indications that are really associated with day-to-day suffering. People have to endure day-to-day and do their support systems, a lot of debilitating effects of anxiety, depression, suicidality, and those really limit their own productivity, who they can become as a person, And I think I've always seen for many decades now, we just have got to find a way to go beyond the current standard of care and provide better medicine. So that's that's what we're all about. That's what all of our team is about. And I think we're on to something. Great. And with that primer, uh, let's dig into Visagen and the important work that you all are doing there. Well, we're working on three drug candidates. Two of them have already established in human clinical trials really exciting efficacy and safety profiles. So there's more work to be done. There's phase three development with the the first drug candidate called PH94B. We'll be entering into phase three development in the first part of next year. And phase three is the last phase of development before you can submit for a drug to be approved by the FDA. And we have another one called PH10, which is for depression indications. And that's 
completed one phase two study. So we're moving into the next stage next year, which is a phase two B study. What's needed in our space, what can really tackle these alarming and skyrocketing rates of anxiety and depression, but 40 million plus Americans, even pre-COVID, wrestling with anxiety disorders, tens of millions dealing with depression, numerous people dealing with the unfortunate consequences of that match set anxiety and depression and suicidality and suicidal ideation that results from that. We need drugs that work faster and we need drugs that have a fundamentally different or differentiated pharmacology, the way they work, their mechanisms of action need to be different than the drugs that we are all quite familiar with over the last 20 to 30 years. Drugs that have fundamentally different side effect and safety profiles. So these need to be very strong go-to complements to what's always needed in mental health treatment, and that's psychotherapy or talk therapy. And right now, we know the limitations, for example, of drugs like benzodiazepines for treatment of anxiety disorders. The FDA just came out with a drug safety communication that said, essentially, watch it. You know, we know these drugs can cause addiction and tolerance and abuse and misuse. So that's scary. If you're trying to treat anxiety and the drug you're trying to treat it with is making you anxious in the first place about the downstream consequences, there's a benzodiazepine epidemic upon us. It's it's rising to levels of the opioid epidemic. With the antidepressants, we know there's a, a limited efficacy. One in three will respond to the very first try at taking a current oral antidepressant. And that's not good enough. Two out of three people aren't getting any treatment. And that's after waiting six, eight, 10 weeks to see if there really are any therapeutic effects. And all along the way, you've got a wide range of very knowable side effects and safety concerns that you've got to wrestle with, even if you don't benefit from the drug. So again, onset of action needs to be improved and the side effect and safety profiles need to be improved. The way you do that is through a different mechanistic path. And that's what we're doing here at Vistagen with each of these two drugs. There isn't anything like it. The way they work is fundamentally different, faster. And as a result of the way they work in areas of the brain related to fear and anxiety, have the potential also for a fundamentally different safety and side effects profile. And Sean, what are you seeing in either the public or the private markets in terms of appetite for new therapeutics as it relates to CNS? And what have you seen that's changed over the last decade, if anything? Well, I think there's been an embrace, not only because of a need that's growing and continually growing, um, even before COVID, as I noted, the social media pressures rise in team orientation in the workplace and in the academic setting. There are all kinds of anxiety and and depression provoking stressors afoot that have just been um, accelerated on like crazy with COVID. And not just the health and safety side of COVID, but really the diverse impacts of COVID, the economic loss, the social isolation, the disruption in, especially among adolescents, the disruption of routine as it relates to to the academic setting. And we know that disruption of any kind is, is a fire starter for anxiety and then anxiety as to depression. So it's, it's these disruptions that have been occurring, whether it's civil unrest, whether it's election anxiety, whether it's uh, you know, the pre-COVID stressors, there's a lot now that's causing us to turn to the need for mental health. So there's been an embrace that the prevalence overall of mental illness is increasing and that anxiety and depression are uh, the foundation of that increase. The other side is that there have been some significant developments 
There's been regulatory advance, for example, with the NMDA receptor in the depression context. Last year, for the first time in decades, since really the Prozac days, the FDA approved a drug from Janssen called esketamine that's a totally different mechanism of action from all of the SSRIs and SNRIs that are out there and used as the mainstay for a depression therapy. So when you have new mechanisms and you have to have new regulatory pathways to develop whether or not those drugs with those mechanisms are effective and safe, you need both actual science and technology improvements, but you also need some regulatory flexibility. And so we're seeing that with the FDA too, that you don't treat developing a new generation anxiolytic or antidepressant exactly like they did 30 years ago. The way drugs work differently today causes that new insight to be deployed into the regulatory back and forth with the FDA as well. So I think there's been regulatory changes, there's been market changes, and there's actually been a lot of clinical results that have shown that new mechanisms can support safe and effective medicines. So, and we'll see more and more approvals as the years come upon us here. Great. And we've touched a little bit about on COVID. Two questions here. You know, firstly, how have you as a company adapted to the new reality under this pandemic and any lessons learned that you think folks would be interested in hearing? And then secondly, you know, more broadly, what have you seen in terms of COVID's impact on mental health and what you hope comes out of this new reality? Well, as to the first part, the lessons learned on more of an operations side, I think I'm like a lot of other CEOs in the space, especially biotech, where many of us, I think, were kind of forced into this test case, this experimental mode where will people really be productive working remotely, uh, as productive as they are when they're working in person? And uh, I think it's a resounding yes in that. In many respects, I think people can be far more productive. And a lot of us were skeptical of whether we ever wanted to launch that in the pre-COVID world. And I think fortunately our hands were forced and we've all learned a nice lesson. Uh, There's certain things you can't do remotely, but for the most part, a lot of what we do is associated with the care and feeding of a biopharma company can be done by solid team orientation, working in a remote manner, just really being organized. And I think people have a lot more time on their hands to deploy to quality of life. At the same time, I've no, seen no lapse in productivity. I've been very pleased with that. The other side is, you know, what's the impact of COVID on mental health? Well, the diverse impacts of COVID have been far reaching uh, in a lot of ways. We talked about the personal day-to-day life-related impacts of someone who's lost a job, someone who has to now learn online or teach online. There's just been disruption in routine that is difficult. There's been a lot of adjustment disorder, which is a specific indication for people that really haven't had any prior experience with anxiety or depression. Something that's happened to them within the three months, recent three months, has a trigger some life event that causes, uh, it provokes stress or anxiety or depression. Seeing a lot of that, first responders, nurses, doctors, psychiatrists, you know, anybody who's essential and has been stressed into a whole different working environment, people that have to go into jobs day to day that it's kind of a Faustian decision, whether they stay home and lose their job or they go into jobs where their risk is higher than others. These are all tough. So we've seen a lot of adjustment disorder, but on the positive side, if if I can think of anything that I'd even remotely want to be described as positive from COVID, it would be that I think there is an increasing destigmatization of mental illness, which is key. 
if we're going to be successful in beating down, we really do have a mental health pandemic. It's side by side with COVID and was already on the way before COVID. The rates of anxiety and depression that we see are, are evidence of that. And the rates of addiction to benzodiazepines show that. But to be able to now have a real good reason why you want to seek mental health support is, is becoming more normalized. Whereas before people might've been reluctant to ask an employer for a day off to go have a therapeutic visit or just talking to their family or friends, that's changed. And because there's an obvious in the news everyday reason why people should be freaked out and stressed out. And I think that's good because that won't wane. That's sort of opened the door to say, yeah, life is tough sometimes. And a little bit of anxiety is good. We all need it. So we don't put ourselves in harm's way from time to time. But if it's a persistent situation, a couple weeks or more where you're just not right, you're, you're anxious, you're depressed, it says, okay, fine treatment. And employers have had a responsibility to provide access to that treatment. And I think social media has done a great job of providing ways for people to learn more. And also practitioners, the transition by a lot of therapists to being able to take screening or consults or even provide treatments online, huge change. And I really hope that continues. We need to treat mental illness like we now treat cancer or other indications where it's, okay, there's a problem. What's the game plan? Here are the options. Here's the alternatives. Not in a real mysterious, circumspect way where people are apprehensive about seeking a way to better their lives. Yeah, I'm hopeful if there is a silver lining, you know, that some of these changes do stick because I think we've likely seen no change in quality of mental health care, but certainly improved access as a result of some of these changes. I absolutely agree. And I think to the payers, it's much like the CEOs trying to decide whether they want to accept remote working. Yeah, It's just going to be more productive. And they have to know, they all know, no question about it. If you can intercede early, even if you just intercede with psychotherapy, talk therapy early, the probability of success on a downstream being raised is clear cut. And the sooner you can get someone back to being or becoming the ideal version of themselves, imagine the productivity if you had just 5 million of the 40 million people that wrestle with anxiety every day in the US or 2 million of the 18 or 30 million people that deal with depression, put them back in productive mode, taking their kids to soccer practice, going to jobs and innovating and creating. I mean, you get major transformational changes and that's what drives our team every day. It's very easy to be fueled with passion when you know there's such a cause and effect potential between the drugs you're developing and the impact they can have when properly combined with professional mental health talk therapy, the changes are phenomenal. I've seen it. There are people that do succeed using current medicines. We know that. It's just that we can improve on that standard of care and make it even better. That's got to be the goal. And thanks for sharing this. You know, I think it's such an important topic for everybody right now. If you're in the workplace or you have kids that are going back to school, I think we are just starting to understand the impact that COVID has had on so many different folks and everyone's taking it differently. You know, back to the what's needed, what I think people need, and we see this quite a bit with social anxiety disorder and why we're driving PH94B for anxiety, for example, think of it like a rescue inhaler for asthma or a Mm. migraine drug right up front of a migraine episode. Our development focus for PH94B is to have an on-demand as needed. It's actually a nasal spray 
And there are unique receptors in your nose that trigger neural activity that goes to the part of your brain associated with fear and anxiety. And that happens in about 10 to 15 minutes in the phase mm -hmm. two studies we've done. But to have something that you can take out of your purse or your backpack or your briefcase uh, or your pocket up front of often very predictable anxiety provoking events, that's the kind of flexibility patients need. So our focus is as an acute treatment for anxiety in the first case with adults for social anxiety disorder, you know oftentimes what are your triggers. Going to a meeting with your boss, sitting in a conference room or a classroom where you're fearful you're going to get called on and you're going to be humiliated or embarrassed or judged, going on a subway, going to all these phobias that are associated with our day-to-day -day life, giving a speech. There's all kinds of experiences, performance and social, that cause people to really have opportunity costs in their lives. Either they shy away from the opportunity or they struggle through it. And we need medicines that work faster and that are safe. And so far, what we've seen in our phase two development is a drug that works in 10 to 15 minutes. It's not necessary to be used systemically. It doesn't go through your whole body. It's not sedating. So these are the kind of quality of life related aspects that the new generation of medicines need to improve on. Older mm -hmm. medicines that make you fall asleep or be fuzzy, gain weight, or all kinds of side effects that are, unfortunately, in many cases, as troubling as the underlying condition, that has to all change. We've really cherry-picked and focused on drug candidates that we know can work quickly with a different mechanism and have side effect and safety profiles that are unlike, in our opinion, anything that has been approved. And so we'll yeah. see how it goes. We're moving into the final phase. Hopefully, we're rounding third on, on the way to home with phase three development, and we can provide some hopefully game-changing, life-changing alternatives for people across these, these really significant issues that are unfortunately getting a lot worse before they're getting better. Well, it certainly sounds like there's lots going on at Vistagen on a very important therapeutic area. So uh, thanks to you and your colleagues for all the hard work that you're doing to A, increase awareness and, and bring new therapies to market. It's our pleasure. And if, if there is anyone out there that needs help, there's a really good page on our website called Finding Help. Uh, and that'll direct you to the, there's a lot of resources out there to help people. And you really do need to get help if you're feeling something that's just not right, persistent over a couple of weeks talk to somebody and, and do some research. Thanks again for the opportunity. I really have appreciated our time. Thanks so much, Sean. It was, it was a pleasure to have you on and, and we'll be closely following the phase three data. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.